Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Uh, we're going to go uh, right into the message. Um, and I think last week, you know, almost by accident, in looking at First Peter, we um, kind of almost started a series by accident because uh, I've been really captivated by uh, the book of First Peter and having a hard time uh, thinking about other things and getting out of it because it really is an incredible book that is uh, written uh, to communities that are going through a difficult time like the people around the world are going through today. Um, so we are just uh, able to kind of engage with this in a way that we can kind of feel what Peter is trying to do. We can sort of feel the encouragement that he's trying to pour out on these churches and uh, really entered into it and find some find some real wisdom for ourselves in this time. Uh, so we're going to engage with it. I'm not sure how long it'll go as a series, but uh, really trusting the Lord to lead us day by day on that. But uh, really seeing that... Uh, he can really help us through this. And what I want to talk about today is how do we live lives that are um, full of gratitude, that are able to give thanks and able to find joy uh, in times of exile, in times of uh, strange disconnection. Uh, you'll remember that uh, Peter was writing to a group of people who were scattered through Asia Minor um, in various churches that Paul had planted. And they were trying to sort of eke out an existence uh, with this sort of growing, thriving church that was kind of under persecution in different cultures and different cities and different towns. Uh, so each church kind of would have a distinct, unique identity, but at the same time, common struggles in that they were feeling like they were strangers in a strange land. And in fact, that's one of the good translations for uh, the language that we see here at the beginning of the text we talked about last week. This phrase, elect exiles of the dis dispersion. Uh, another way to sort of say that would be sort of like resident aliens, like they're living in a country, but they're not really a part of it. They're not really from it. They're not really uh, connected with it. And so that's sort of how we live. Uh, but we want to just take this letter, and I'm just going to dig into the beginning part of it, which we sort of skipped over last week, and just see uh, some some praise and thanks, some good things that we can be thankful for in it. So the first thing I see here is that, um, you know, it, it just in Peter's salutation to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, uh, you, that could be written to us, to those who are chosen exiles of the COVID-19 restrictions right? Uh, we are in this strange disconnected time where, you know, we're exiled down to the studio where we used to be in the sanctuary, um, out of the high school, all of that. We're sort of separate. We're sort of exiled. It's caused us to be uh, in a place that is not as connected to one another, of course, as we would want to be. Uh, we're seeing, uh, being asked to not do Thanksgiving with our families and all kinds of things right now, right? But what's interesting is that exiles of the dispersion, um, of the people who are dispersed, as Peter writes it to them, he's not writing it as a complaint. He's not writing it like, it's not like negative self-talk. It's not like, man, this uh, really stinks. Like this isn't just a, a, a lament or a groaning, which is fair game in these times for sure. But he's actually using it as an, a term of endearment and, and a term of honor which is really, really interesting for us, right? So imagine God looking at us in all the difficulty we face and listening to complaining talk radio and uh, reading the news and in these sort of frustrating times. And we have uh, a, a natural way of taking on an identity that is kind of angsty and, and full of complaint, but somehow God looks in at us and says, hey, 
exiles of COVID-19, you are chosen in this moment, in this time, in this place. That there's something about this moment that is beautiful. There's something in this moment that I see that's endearing in you. Uh, there's something honorable about this thing that you're going through here right now before it's over because we're all looking so passionately towards the end. And what I want to just take from that is that God is not waiting for you at the finish line. He sees you and loves you right now in the middle of exile, in the middle of the journey. He's not just waiting for the end. It's not just about getting through it. It's about something that God is doing with us in our lives in the here and now. And I've said this before a number of times. We haven't been kicked out of somewhere. We're being led to somewhere. God is doing something powerful with this, us in this moment. And if we're just waiting for it to end, we're going to miss it. God's doing something awesome. And then he goes on in the text to just, just in a rapid fire way, outline sort of a theological process, which is a process of transformation for us in just a few like quick sentences. It's one of these sentences uh, that you just sort of read through in the scriptures. And because it's so densely packed, we kind of skim over it. And it's kind of like blah, 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 blah. And we don't pick the meat out of it. But I want us to just take a second to pause on this. Uh, to you, the elect, the chosen exiles of the dispersion, now this is elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit to Jesus Christ and for, or for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So first thing to notice here is that this is, uh, you know, people often say that the Trinity, the idea of the Trinity was invented by the church in some later formulation. But here it is, it's all over the New Testament where we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit found in the location, in the same location uh, together as one person, one being. So we just need to notice that uh, theologically. But we need to notice a process here. Um, one, God planned for us us to be in this space and time he saw it beforehand now that can be like uh sort of like sort of a hyper calvinist uh sort of like disconnect from the pain of your reality well god just chose it and i'm not going to think about it we don't want it to be like that but we need to recognize that in this space and time god has intention and purpose and if we know who he is and we know he's loving we know that that intention and purpose for us is good so that's just tremendous encouragement for us, is this didn't just happen. Uh, this is something that God can and will work for good uh, for his people. Um, again, we can just go back and forth on the Calvinist Arminian sort of thing, and, and there's things to tease out and nuance there, and really I want you to just place mark that, and we can chat about that afterwards in the Q&A. But we'll leave it right there and say there is something of planning and intention and God's awareness in this moment that is meant to encourage us. Um, it says, secondly, it says this, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So here we are in this moment where we're being transformed, we're being made new, we're being turned into different people than we were before. We're being saved in this, which is really, really interesting because we often look at our salvation as something in the past, something that happened when we raised our hand in a meeting or we prayed um, at, our, at our bedside, but there's something about being more saved, being more fully saved, more completely transformed in this moment that's part of God's intention for us. Uh, to obedience, for obedience to Jesus Christ. So for his lordship, and it's really pointing towards that idea that there's something about that sanctification and transformation process that leads us to being an obedient people. 
that leads us to being a people who are intentionally uh, servants, intentionally uh, subservient to our Lord Jesus Christ and working out and fulfilling his purposes as he directs us in this time and space. So there's a mission for us in this moment. So the Father planned it, the Spirit makes us able, Jesus directs us on the mission. And this other additional piece, he says, and Jesus presents us to the Father uh, with, for sprinkling with his blood. So there's something about not just salvation in the present, not just making me better, but there's something about presenting us as an offering to the Father that's eternal and forever. And we'll see that in the next passage, that what Peter's pointing to for hope is pointing to the forever peace. He's pointing to the eternal peace, and we need to have that heavenly perspective. So all of that to say is that exile in the world is anything but exile from him. It's anything but exile from his purposes. It might feel like we're alone. It might feel like, what in the world am I doing? Like, this is so difficult. I'm stuck down in my room. I can't get out. Uh, uh, all I've got is video games to play, and I don't know what to do. It's hard to connect with my friends. Or maybe you're thinking, man, somehow my work life has just changed, and I'm just spending countless hours uh, doing a job that used to be able to be eight hours a day where I would go to work, work eight hours, and come home, and now I'm working till eight and nine and ten at night, and I'm exhausted, and I'm tired, and this is a very strange time I've got to figure this out and it feels like it's a painful time or maybe you've been exiled from your job you've been laid off you're unemployed maybe you're not getting the hours you need to get uh, maybe you're exiled from school school is not a place where you can attend right now because uh, your school's been shut down whatever it is that you're struggling with whatever feels like exile to you right now is anything but an exile from him from his presence and from his pur purpose and so Peter goes on, he puts that all theologically in place. Hey, this difficulty that you're in, God is doing something amazing in it. So now let's thank God for it. And this next passage, verses 3 to 9, we're not going to get through all of it, was actually adopted in the early church as a hymn of thanks. And if you look at some versions of your Bible, you'll see that it sort of has a heading, uh, Thanksgiving to God, right, uh, written on top of it. And you read through this and you're like, I don't see the word thanks, I don't see the word gratitude here, I don't see how this is a hymn of thanksgiving, but really the early church adopted it as a song, and they actually sang these first verses. They actually had music to them, and in different places they would sing these things out uh, to God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they would sing that out together uh, with joyful hearts but deep and rich and theological, which so, so often I wish some of our current contemporary songs were uh, such rich uh, pieces theologically, um, like some of the hymns that, uh, that, we, that I sang in my childhood, right? So there's maybe a call to songwriters to really think through some of these complex, beautiful thoughts and to help us weave them into songs so that we remember them and get them in our hearts. But so here this is, this is a hymn of thanks. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we're just going to unpack a few things in there. Uh, the first thought here is that uh, in that phrase, blessed be the Lord, or the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now we remember uh, earlier in the passage, we talked about God's purpose uh, in, the, in putting us in this place and in this time. So here we have God causing us to be born again. That experience that you had when you gave your life to Jesus and he began to rebuild you and began to remake you and to make you new. The same God that caused us to be born 
where we are in time and space to be here in the middle of COVID uh, caused you to become who you are. He caused you to be born again. For us, there's just a humbling little thing in that, that again, this is sort of pointing back to the uh, Calvinist Arminian thing a little bit, but there is intention of God in your salvation. No one comes to the Father uh, unless he's been drawn. And so we would think, man, we have a, a way of thinking and taking this purpose on ourselves of saying, yeah, man, I have a mission in this time, in this space. I'm here for a reason. I'm here to change the world. And we need to just dial that back to the point where we're humbly saying, I have his mission to fulfill in the world. And my ability to fulfill it is something that he caused in me. So there is a humble aspect here that he caused his glory to be revealed in us. He caused us to be saved. He caused us uh, to be reborn through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we, uh, maybe I'm, I'm closer to the Arminian side a little bit, uh, soft Arminian maybe, and I think our choice is important in that somehow, but we could not have made that choice unless he had made a way for us and drawn us in, right? So this is, we, we can own something of a decision in this, I believe, but man, we just own a tiny piece of it. He is a sovereign, mighty God who affected salvation for us in a powerful, powerful way. So we come humbly. Uh, he caused us to be in this place, and he causes us to be born anew, causes us to have hope in this crazy space. And it says this, uh, born to, again to, be, to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. And I just want to just unpack those two words. That word living is this uh, light word that we see for life in a number of places in the scriptures. Uh, one of the places we see it is in Jesus says, there will be in you a, a well of water uh, springing up to eternal life. It's zoe up into eternal life. It's, it's a word that means bubbling, breathing, animate. And so we imagine that the life inside of you is something that is, uh, is moving it's spreading. I think so often we kind of, I just want us to think about how we visualize ourselves. We visualize ourselves as people with Jesus living in our hearts, like living in this like tiny spot. And maybe in my heart, he lives in this little room that's over here. And I've just, you know, sort of let him stay in like the attic and maybe the rest of my heart I get, I get to live in. And he comes into the other rooms sometimes, right? But the life that Jesus meant to put in you is a life that's meant to bubble through every fiber of your being. It's meant to just not be containable, not be stagnant, not be still. The love of Jesus living inside of you is meant to move. It's meant to move in the dark places. It's meant to move into areas of discouragement. It's meant to move into areas of despair. It's meant to move into areas where you haven't had hope before. You're meant not to be just partly alive, like, you know, like the old thing from Princess Bride, who's only mostly dead, right? Which is some little part of you alive. You're meant to be all the way alive, all the way hopeful. And then you've got this sort of moving word, this motion word for living. And then it's tied with this very, very static word for hope, which is an expectation of what is sure. 
And so I just love the juxtaposition in the Greek here that you have uh, a living, thriving, bubbling, animate hope that is actually a hope in something that is immovable and solid and unchanging. So you have this unchanging fact of who Jesus is that is meant to place inside of you a hope that just cannot be contained. The Holy Spirit wants to reign in you and all of you and bring life to every fiber of your being. He loves you so much, not just a little piece of you. He loves all of you. He loves all of your life and he wants to reign in you in a new and radical way. So because of what happened to Jesus, it is possible to live with a pervasive, that means like spread everywhere, contagious confidence, a solid confidence that animates your whole being. You're meant to have a confidence that animates everything you are. And so it's just that question for you, that expectation in something solid. What is it that you're expecting? That's a very challenging question for us. What is it that we are actually expecting? What is it that we are hoping for through this living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are we expecting just the end of COVID and the resumption of life as normal? I just want to propose to you that that is much, much too small thinking for us. That is much too small thinking for us. This is not about survival. This is about the church in this moment becoming all that she is meant to be. This is about you becoming in this moment all that you are meant to be. That is what we are thankful for. And so when we look at that question of what Jesus' resurrection is, what does that cause you to expect? That causes us to expect resurrection, resurrection life flowing through us. And so to just see how that worked uh, for the early church, like they, they were really close to that time where Jesus was resurrected. Like they were hearing stories of it. They had seen and heard the testimony of people who saw that Jesus Christ had died, was buried, and had come out of the tomb. And for any of you that are new believers, like this is the foundation of our hope. Uh, if you are wondering why we have such hope, it's because real people saw a person die and saw him come back to life triumphantly. Triumphantly. And that means all the rules are broken. The rules of COVID-19 restrictions and the sense of despair and despondency and struggle that you're supposed to have in that because that's what we're told we're supposed to have, that rule is broken because of the resurrection. That rule is broken because in the middle of a country uh, and a city, Jerusalem, that was oppressed by Rome, uh, that was under its boot, under its heavy, heavy hand, under all of that oppression, that darkness, a life and light sprung up that utterly transformed the Roman Empire out of nothing. In the darkest place, the most difficult place, life sprung out of the ground and literally changed the face of the planet. That's the hope that we live in. Because Jesus rose from the grave. And so anything 
is possible. Anything is possible. And, and, and we're, you know, our expectation in the real, our expectation in the moment, our expectation of joy in a dark place is great for us personally in the here and now. But Peter is pointing us towards something that's not just here and now, but also pointing us to something that is transcendent, something that is future, something that is uh, ahead of us in time. It goes on to say in verse 4, to an inheritance... So an inheritance is something that happens later, right? It's something you wait for that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as good as this salvation, this hope, this living, vibrant way of being is here and now, as good as that is, there is a salvation to be revealed in the last time that goes far beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. There is something glorious and and beautiful that awaits you that awaits me. There's a salvation uh, that, that is forever, that isn't requiring hope. Do we get that? The salvation that awaits us is a time where we don't require hope. It's, it's living it. It's living in the presence of God. And that inheritance, that promise is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded. Kept in heaven for you, guarded by God's power. Guarded by the power of God who spoke the universe into existence with a word. The power that, uh, if we believe in the Big Bang, ignited the explosion that created the, the known universe. The power of a billion stars and a billion uh, planets. The power of the cosmos. That power guards your inheritance. That power guards your future. That power guards your faith. That's a safe faith, a safe hope, a safe future for you. You can be secure in this moment because it's guarded by his power. And that's what empowered the early church uh, to thrive in these incredibly difficult times, right? To go into uh, lion's dens, to go into the arenas dressed with the skins of animals to be torn apart by lions, uh, hung upside down on crosses. Like thinking about the resurrection and, and like, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe there was an empty tomb? Like these Christians who saw these things and believed them, uh, they were they were they were enduring suffering and torture like crazy for this truth. Like, can you not imagine that one of them would have cracked under that torture and said, "No, we stole the body. We made the whole thing up." Like the Romans were good at torturing people, right? Not a single person who saw the resurrection of Jesus cracked and even made up the story that they stole the body. Because something so real had happened to them. Because they experienced his presence, his life, his body. 
after he was supposed to be dead, and not one of them caved under the enormous pressure they were under. You can believe that story. And that's the same faith that you're meant to carry in this time. An unshakable faith in what Jesus has done that saves you from so much hopelessness and despair. You're meant to have a living hope. So we have hope in the present by knowing that what Jesus accomplished in the past enables us to be sure of what will happen in the future. In all three time frames, past, present, and future, Jesus meets us. Right here in the present, we are aware of what he's done in the past, and it transforms the way we see the future. And that's a really good question for us. Are we seeing our future with Jesus' resurrection power in it? Or are we seeing a future where we're trying to do this by ourselves? There's so much more hope for us than I think we've experienced. There's so much to be thankful for because he rose from the grave. He loves you so much. Let me read this quote on hope and we'll close with this. Hope is a sure and certain anchor of the soul that orients our present and assures us that no matter what storms may rage, one day all suffering will be healed and all the inscrutable contradictions will vanish. It assures us that something so beautifully harmonious will come to pass that it will suffice for all broken hearts, reconcile all resentments, and atone for all the crimes of man's inhumanity. One day we shall embrace one another, weeping tears of joy, which will more than make up for everything that has come to pass. This is a heavenly hope. There is a glorious, beautiful, harmonious future for us. And we can even taste it right now because we have a living hope. My prayer for us this morning is that we will be able to uh, simply walk in that hope. Simply know that Jesus loves us. Simply know that he rose from the grave and know that we have a much, much more beautiful uh, future ahead of us than anything we need to endure now. And the passage goes on and we're just going to cut it there, but uh, we'll talk about that in, in a future week. But there's so much beautiful hope in this incredible letter from Peter uh, to the churches who are as we are in a time of exile. Praying you have that deep and living hope inside you. Let's, let's pray, Jay. Father, thank you so much. I pray for this beautiful body, these beautiful people, uh, that we would live in a rich, deep, authentic hope, a bubbling hope that transforms our whole being, that isn't contained to a tiny little space inside of us, but is something that overflows into everything, mm. every part of who we are, every mm -hmm. aspect of our lives, Yeah, because our hope is secure, our hope is sure. Help us live in this incredible uh, posture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Father, for those questioning this morning and, and maybe in a place of never having experienced that hope, would there be moments of uh, just daring to ask and, and daring to reach out, daring to talk to you as if you were in the room and, and to pray a prayer for the first time receiving you? Uh, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd 
in that sanctuary that we pray each week that would be created in every uh, screen and home tuned in, would you create an environment where we could explore what it would be like to ask more of you to, to say, God, are you there? Are you real? Uh, did you really raise again from the dead? Are, are, do you really love me like they're talking about? Mm-hmm. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come into each home turn, tuning in and uh, maybe into hearts for the first time, that people would feel safe to, to ask for your forgiveness and to receive new life and to, to be brave to ask for new hope in this time if it's been a struggle because you're, because you're there, you're present with us and you're for us. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.